Welcome listeners to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love hosted by Richard Osler. My guest on today's podcast joining me um, via Zoom from Las Vegas is my friend Sierra Clayton. Welcome to the podcast, Sierra. Hi, thank you for having me. Sierra spells her first name really cool. Will you share with our listeners how you spell your first name? Yeah, it's something I got for my birthday. So it's C-I-E-R-A. It's a great name. So, and Clayton, listeners, is spelled like I've always known Clayton, spelled C-L-A-Y-T-O-N. Um, I'll give you a little bios we usually do in these podcasts, just enough to kind of give you an overview and then let my guests tell their full story. Um, Sierra is 26, I believe. Um, she's the mother of a son. And um, she has been married twice to a woman. Um, and she will talk about her journey um, being married to Kara. They're still good friends. They're jointly raising their son. She'll talk about why she got married, why she broke up, why she got married, and why she broke up, and just share her story. She is um, active in the church, grew up in the church, and active in the church, and is trying to just do her best um, to go forward. Do you identify as gay or lesbian or bisexual? I identify as gay. Okay. So is that okay for an introduction? Yeah, it sounds good. Good And listeners, when we do these, every podcast is different. I think I've been saying this pretty consistently is I think our joint prayers that the things Sierra will help you if you're LGBTQ will just help you write your story. Don't take Sierra's story and make that your story, but listen to all these stories and receive personal inspiration that's the best way to write your story. And write that story when you're in your best, best personal self, um, where emotionally and spiritually in the very best spot. But don't take one story and sort of say, this is how you should do it. Um, that's part of the po- focus of this podcast is to share lots of different stories. And every story, when I start these podcasts, I'm always kind of stunned with how unique and different. So I think that'll be happen today with Sierra. But it takes a lot of courage to share your story. So on behalf of our listeners, thank you, Sierra, for being willing to share your story. So let's talk about the early life. Tell us about growing up. Yeah, so I am the oldest of, I have two younger brothers. I actually do have a gay brother. Um, My youngest brother is also gay. Um, My parents got divorced when I was 12. That was a... That was a big change in our family, as any divorce would be. Um, It was really a hard time then, Um, especially at the age of 12, when you're starting to go through middle school and um, you're really trying to find yourself. And then your family starts to kind of fall apart. Um, My self-esteem was really hurt during that time. Um, I know that's common for a lot of 12-year-old girls also, um, because life is just hard. Your, your self-esteem in middle school is really hard. Um, and then I, I went to high school. Um, I've lived in this, this house that I'm actually currently living in since I was, I don't know, five years old. So I've been in this area such a long time. Um, we went, went to high school and, um, that's when I started getting really, anxious. I've always been an anxious person. Um, but my family kind of noticed my mom particularly, 
noticed that I was really anxious as a kid. Um, and so she one day said that maybe it would be best if I, you know, start going to see a therapist, especially after, um, my parents divorce and all that big stuff going on. Um, so I started seeing a therapist, uh, 14 years old, did that majority of my life. Um, and I have generalized anxiety disorder and depression. Um, and those are just things that I live with. Um, and I just have to live with that. Um, have medication, see a therapist, all those great things help. Um, and then when I got into high school, um, you know, sometimes high school is hard. Middle school is hard. High school can be harder. I was picked on a lot. And I was picked on a lot, actually, by LDS kids, the kids that were supposed to be around me in times, you know, especially when the parents going through divorce. And there are a couple other big things happening in my life that were really hard to go through that not a lot of people know the things that I was going through then. And, and then to have the people that I feel were supposed to rally around me um, kind of turn their backs on me really hurt. Um, and again, that's just something I had to get through. And I got through that bullying from those kids by, I reached out to other kids outside of the LDS faith, found a great group of friends. Um, I found a great group of friends inside the LDS faith as well. It took a little bit of time, but I finally, I finally found my group of friends that I fit in with. Um, and so then around that time, you know, I, I was about 15 years old um, when I started to kind of question that I might be um, gay. And I remember the thought popped into my head and I just told myself, I, I don't have time to think about this right now. I'm just going to, that's a future problem. I'm really not going to think about that. Um, so I did, I put it off for a little while. Um, I think until the summer the summer of my sophomore year. I am a cross-country runner. I was a cross-country runner. Um, so I had gone to a cross-country camp and then I went to um, Outdoor Youth Adventure. I don't remember. OYA, I think, with the church in, in, in Idaho. Um, and around that time, the, the question started coming up again, you know, oh, am I gay? I don't, I don't know. And I was starting to wrestle with it a little more. I decided to, um, you know, I was just going to go on my trips, think about it and come back again, kind of pushing it off until I was ready to really dive deep into that space. And so I come back from my trips. I remember the, the day I came back from the trips. I walk into my house to my mom and my brother and my dad sitting at the table. And again, my parents were divorced. So my dad being over at the house wasn't super common on a, I think it was a Sunday. And the, the first words my mom said when I walked in the door was, Sierra, are you gay? My jaw dropped. I didn't told anybody. Um, and my heart was pounding out of my chest. I come to find out that one of my best friends while I was away had decided to tell her brother that I was gay. She just made up a rumor that I was gay. Uh, she told her brother, who happened to be really good friends with my brother. So he told my brother. And it was so, I just felt so alone 
in that time because I hadn't told anyone. Were, were they in my head? Could they hear? Why? Why did this rumor come to be? And I actually, I didn't. Um, I didn't talk to that friend for a couple of years. I had to have some time away to to heal from that trust that was broken. Um, and then to really answer the question of, am I gay? Because now people are starting rumors about it. Um, the first thing I did when we got back to school that I think it was my junior year is I started dating some guy. I don't even remember his name. And um, just to prove that I wasn't gay to everybody else and to myself, immediately start dating some guy was my plan. Um, and until that didn't work until it went as far as I could take it anymore. And I was driving down the road. I think I was 17 by this time now. I think I was a senior in high school. I still remember the day. I still remember where I was. The road was under construction, lots of traffic cones. And I just remember the thought, you do know you're gay, right? You, you know that. And I just, in that moment, I had to tell myself, there's no more putting this off. This question keeps coming up and keeps coming up. And as, as hard as I tried to bottle it up and push it down, it's, it's not going away. And so I decided to wait until I was 18, until I graduated from high school. Um, and, and then one day my dad just sat down and asked me, he said, something's wrong. I can tell that something's wrong with you. You you don't you don't seem the same. And I told him, you know, I'm fine. I'm fine. My dad my dad's a great man and he he just kept asking me, you're not yeah, I I just you feel different. Something's different about you. I can feel it. And so I I looked over at him, I said, Dad, I, I think I'm gay. And he said, Okay all right. Okay. Why do you feel that way? And he just gave me the space to, to talk and kind of figure it out. It was never a negative thing. He always told me that, um, if he ever had a kid come out as gay, that he didn't want it to feel any different than any other relationship he had with his children. He didn't want it to be some kind of strain. And he told me a story. He was going out to eat one day and he'd noticed this this mom, this clear mom and this son, and the son was nervous because he had a boyfriend sitting, what he assumed to be a boyfriend and they looked really nervous. They're holding hands, you know, and, um, you know, my dad could see the nerves on his face and just kind of said, I never want that to be my kids. I never want them to feel afraid to tell me anything. Um, so that was really great. And then, um, he gave me the opportunity. He said, Hey, you know, this is something you probably want to share with your mom as well. Cause they were divorced at the time. Um, he said, I'll give you a couple weeks. Um, if you need me to be there, I can be there. Um, you got to tell your mom, she needs to know. And so I, I was afraid to tell my mom. My mom has always been very strong in the church. Very, I was very afraid. I don't know what for, there was nothing that was hindsight. I can see there was no reason to be afraid, but in that moment, it's very scary. Um, I couldn't face her. So I wrote a letter and I stuck the letter under the door and I told her, mom, there's a letter for you. When you get home from work, I'm going to be out with some friends. Um, let me know when you read the letter. She reads my, I told my dad, I said, Hey, I left a letter for, for mom. 
he said, you can't, you can't do it that way. That's not fair. I said, that's the way that I want to do it. That's how I want to want to tell her. And he said, okay, but I'm going to be there for her if she needs somebody. So my dad went over to the house and they had a conversation, read the letter. My mom just kept texting me. I was out at a baseball game. She said, please come home. Please come home. Just come talk to me. Please come home. And I kept telling her, I can't, I can't talk to you. I don't want to talk to you. I'm, I'm too afraid. I'm too nervous. And she texted me, there's no reason to be afraid. There's no reason to be nervous. Just please, please come home. So I come home and she's in her room that night and I go and I lay on her bed and she comes out. She's talking to me and just lets me tell her how I feel and just open up to her. I've been hiding a part of me from her for two or three years. And finally I was able to let myself be with her in that moment. Um, so yeah, that was, that was me coming out. That was my early life. I think I forgot to mention, but my parents are actually, they got remarried eight years later, but they're remarried now. So that's my early life and my coming out story. Thank you, Sierra. And this is a beautiful family love story. I love what your dad said when you came out to him. Sounds like both your parents did a good job. Um, why do you feel that way? It wasn't like demeaning. It was just, I love open-ended questions where instead of he going into sort of, this is my feeling about this space, and he kept you talking with an open-ended question. And I think that's a great skill in a vulnerable communication is not to shift it to you or talk about some gay relative he has or his experience growing up. He just kept the conversation focused on you with open-ended questions. I love that you wrote a letter to your mom. I think everybody needs to come out the way it works for them. And I've heard a lot of success stories of people saying, I'm just going to get all my thoughts down on a piece of paper so that I know that when I'm going to engage in that person, I've said everything I need to say. And because sometimes it's hard in these really tender conversations, you think about all the things you wish you had said after the conversation. So sometimes it's good to write it all out. Um, send in a letter, an email, a Facebook message, and then it sort of gets to that person kind of where you want them to be for the conversation you want to have and gives them a chance. So every story is different. And you, you know, you had two different coming out experiences with your dad and your mom. They were both good. But there's a question I want to ask you. So let's say parents get tipped off um, that their kid's gay. Um, through somebody breaking a confidence or there's probably lots of ways parents get tipped off and they want to have this conversation with their kid, but they, their kid may not be ready to have this conversation and they don't. And often it violates a confidence. So let's talk to parents that suspect their kid is gay. You know, a kid in their early twenties, teens, what should they do? Should they talk to their kid? Um, ask their quit kid. Like you had an experience with your mom, or just let just any advice you'd have. Yeah, I would say if you think you might have a gay kid, um, the best thing to be able to do is to know that they have a place that they can come to, have that relationship built where they know that you're a safe and trusted source. If for any of their issues or any of the things they're struggling with, you know, um, just like when my mom, you know, I have the, I have 
an anxiety disorder and she was there. She was, she was there to say, Hey, you know, I think maybe this may be going on. I don't know if coming right out and saying, Hey, are you, are you gay is the right thing to do in all situations because all situations are different, but just kind of being open and available for tough conversations. Um, no matter what the subject of the conversation may be, just having a parent that you know that is a safe place to go to, I think is the answer. I think that's good. And I think parents, you have kind of special personal revelation to know best how to handle this in your family situation. There are a few times I've heard where a parent in a in a one-on-one trusted situation has asked their kid if they're gay. And it's turned out to be okay because it's just in the right moment with the right level of trust. Generally, it's not good to do that in a group. Generally, it's one-on-one where you're already kind of having a, a real authentic open discussion. And you just feel like maybe you can ask that question. But that can be a difficult question to ask if the kid's not ready. So parents, just do that the best way you can. But I love what you said, Sierra, just fostering a culture in the family of kindness and inclusion and I think it's great to say kind things about LGBTQ people in a family setting well before your kids are teenage years. You can teach them about LGBTQ. It won't confuse them into being LGBTQ, but if they gradually understand this is who they are, then they can walk with you. Um, I had an experience this week where a parents I met and, and an event, and they, they mentioned their 13-year-old child had come out to them. And I just... You know, Sierra, my heart just, I actually shed a few tears because I just thought there's something going on in that family culture that that 13-year-old kid was able to come out. And and I just thought of that 13-year-old kid that's got parents that are walking with them and not waiting all these years um, and not being alone. And it's just beautiful. I just think that was just terrific. All right. I don't want to talk too much. I don't want to dice. <laughs> So let's talk. Keep telling your story. I think you decide to date women at some point and get married. I do. Yes. So I, like I mentioned, I, I came out, I was 18 years old. I had graduated high school um, and I decided I was going to date women. Um, at this point, I had thought there was literally no other LDS person like me, no other gay LDS. I didn't know. That was back in 2014. Um, where being gay was a little more talked about than it is, than it was, but not as open as we are now. Um, and so I, I really felt alone um, that I was the only LDS person in this, in this space. So I, it, it seems a little weird, but I actually, before I decided to date women, I did say a prayer to our Heavenly Father. And I just asked, you know, if, if there's someone out there for me um, and if, if it's a woman, because that's, that's who I'm attracted to, then let me be able to find somebody in my same faith that has my same values, um, so that we are on a level playing field. And, um, a few months later I did meet Kara. Um, Kara is my ex-wife. Um, we got married for the first time in August of 2015. We'd only dated for, I think a year. Um, and Four months after that, we got divorced because I had this this feeling, this pull to go back to church. Um, I grew up LDS and I have a very strong testimony of the church. Um, so I decided I'm going to 
I'm not going to do this. I'm going to go back to church. And um, that only lasted a couple months. We started dating again really soon after that uh, and got married again two years later. Two years after we were divorced, we got married. We actually got married on April Fool's Day, um, which I thought was funny. So that's why we did it. Um, and it was it was different this time around. I had decided, you know, I'm gonna, I'm, I kind of put off the church. I said I'm not gonna. The church isn't for me. I don't have a place there, and I kind of pushed it away. Um, and so we decided to get married. We invited all our our family down, um, and we got married in Las Vegas, uh, just at a little place you get eloped at. Just a little. I don't even think it was a chapel. Um, and it was, it was a good time. It was fun. But that morning, we actually um, were getting ready to go. All our family was in town. Everyone we had invited. I think there was 20 to 30 people we had invited. Um, Kara has a way bigger family than me, which is great. <laughs> um, but we got a text message from someone that was going to go to the wedding. And um, they said, hey, we love you happy for you, but we don't support your marriage. We don't support what you're doing. And that was heartbreaking. The morning of my wedding, I get a text message from, from someone that's supposed to be around me in that time. And they just let me know that, hey, we don't like what you're doing. We don't like that. And I think it hurt for I mean, it hurt because it's obviously that's a hard message to get on what's supposed to be the happiest day of your life. One of them, at least. And um, I think it hurt so bad because if this were another straight couple that just happened to get married outside of the church, they wouldn't have gotten a text message like that. They wouldn't have gotten any text message. They just would have had people come and, and love them and be around them. They wouldn't have gotten that message. And so that, I think that is why it's stuck with me so long and why it's hurt so bad is because if I were anybody else, if I were to be married to a man and I decided I was going to leave the church, that same message wouldn't be portrayed to me. But I, I had to push it away. I didn't think about it. You know, it's my wedding. I'm going to have a good time. So we got married. It was really fun. We did have family around. A lot of people loved us. And it, it was a good day for the second time. Um, and so things were pretty good, pretty normal. Um, we got married in 2017. And Karen and I had both, when we first started dating, talked about a family. We always wanted a family. We always wanted kids. We wanted lots of kids. It's a little difficult in a same-sex um, relationship because it doesn't happen naturally. So we had to plan it, which is really great. It gives you time to be prepared financially, emotionally, and all, all these many different ways you can be prepared. And so I got pregnant in May of 2019. I found out like three days before my birthday. And I remember laying on the ground for a couple hours with the positive pregnancy test just in shock. I didn't believe it. I I was so excited and so scared at the same time. It's so very hard to describe those emotions um, because it's everything I wanted 
And then there's the weight of this is everything I wanted and it's happening and it's going to happen faster. So um, we had our little man, Clay, um, in January of 2020. So right before the world shut down, which was a a scary time also. Um, And we were fortunate enough, both Kara and I, to be able to have our jobs and, and, you know, have security during those times when I know so many people didn't. And so I'm, I'm very grateful for that. I feel very blessed during that process, but late, you know, 2020 after I had clay, you get this, I get this feeling of going back to church again. This, like the first time I left Kara, I had this drawn to, um, going back to church because I wanted Clay to grow up in the church. I wanted him to have the same experiences that I had had. I wanted Clay to have a dad, I guess. Um, Those are things I wanted for him. I wanted to be sealed to him. I wanted, I wanted all of that. I wanted the LDS family that we see, you know, lots of kids all, all sealed together for eternity. And so 2020 being the year that it was church churches were going to more zoom meetings. Um, and so I delayed going back to church until about December. It was December of 2020. Um, I decided I was going to go back to church and I sat down with Kara and I, I just said, Hey, I want to go back to church and I wanted us to go as a family. I wanted us all to go um, and and be a part of the church. And, and that's a really hard space to be in as well, because my family doesn't or didn't fit in the church the way most families do. And so we kind of tried that a little bit, tried going to church together. Didn't, it didn't work very well because we just felt, and this was our own perceiving like this is what I perceived. I felt that everybody was looking at me, judging me. I was out of place. I was the one that didn't fit. Um, and so again, I said a prayer. I, I prayed to Heavenly Father. I said, if if I need to leave Kara, if that's what I need to do, Kara will need to bring it up. Kara will be the one to start that conversation. I can't start that conversation. I had already left her once. I wasn't gonna. That was, and the first time was a hard conversation as well. It's it's always hard when you're you're coming to someone and you're telling them that you're ending the relationship you had, especially being married. We had been married for almost three years, almost four years then. And the next day after I said that prayer, Kara came to me and said, "Hey, something's going on. What's going on?" Um, and I just kind of told her how I was feeling that I felt drawn to going back to church that I felt like Clay needed a a dad, a father figure in his life. Um, and that I thought that I could date and marry men. And that was something I was going to do. Kara is an amazingly incredible person. She was angry and hurt clearly as anyone would be. Um, but she never made it difficult. You hear these stories of people with divorces and they're in big, long legal battles, fights and lawyers and thousands of dollars. And 
I was, I think, 24 years old. We didn't have a lot of money. And so she just said, okay, let's, let's get divorced. She didn't make it hard. She didn't make anything hard. I'd even um, told her that I felt that Clay needed to come live with me. I was, I'm his um, biological mother. And um, she agreed. She agreed to step into the role of what we now call her is Aunt Kara. She comes over. We live in two separate states. She comes whenever she is available to come. And I go visit her whenever I'm able to come. Um, So we, we got divorced. And in July of 2021, I moved back to Las Vegas with Clayton. And I started to go on a few dates with guys, which were fine. None of them really got to go anywhere um, because I don't like men, clearly. (laughs) I'm not attracted to men. Um, But I started getting really close to this one guy early 2022, like, and it's April now. So this is really early 2022. And he'd asked if I would be his girlfriend and we had been on a few dates and I agreed to be his girlfriend. And as soon as I agreed, I felt out of place. I felt like everything was wrong. And I kind of took a step back and I looked back at all the dates we'd been on and I had always felt out of place. I had always felt like people again were watching me and judging me and they could tell that I wasn't being genuine in this role that I was playing. I wasn't being my true self with this, with this guy. Um, and so I decided almost as soon as he asked me to be his girlfriend, I decided I was not going to participate in that relationship because it was very apparent to me that it, it just wasn't going to work. Um, and it had felt like that with every guy in, in high school. I dated a few guys, been on a few dates. Um, I never really have had like a serious, serious relationship with a guy. Um, but I, but reflecting back on my time in high school, I could tell that these feelings I had weren't new feelings. I had always felt out of place. I had always felt like I was being watched. I was always afraid that someone would, would be able to tell that, that this wasn't who I really was. And so I, after realizing all of that, I fell back into this dark place because I did, I did want to go to church. I wanted to be a part of the church. I have such a strong testimony of the church. Um, but I, I feel like I don't have a, a path. I don't have a place that I fit into. Um, and so it got really dark and this is like just a couple months ago, very dark place that I was in because I felt like I had no place to be. Um, and so, yeah, that's my, that's my story with Karen, with coming to the church. I'm, I'm currently active in the church. I'm trying to navigate a space now where I can fit. I, I don't want to be single for the rest of my life, but I also know that I probably will not be able to be in a relationship with a man. Um, to the extent that he deserves and to the extent that I deserve. It's, I always had this saying, you know, it wouldn't be fair 
for me to be in a relationship with somebody that I wasn't full heartedly in the relationship with. So if I were in a, this relationship with a man, he wouldn't, he wouldn't have my whole, my whole self. I wouldn't be able to give him all of me because I'm not attracted to him in that, in that sort of way. And so I just, I've decided now, um, I'm just kind of navigating this space that I'm in. I'm kind of a free agent right now. I go to church every Sunday and um, Clay loves church. He loves nursery. Um, and we just kind of, that's just kind of what we're doing. We're just existing in that place. What a unique story um, at a pretty young age to have had all these experiences. Um, thank you for your courage to share some of this I just, my heart kind of grows when I hear your story of just the complexity of being gay and being a Latter-day Saint. And listeners, somebody talked to me, it was, um, I forgot his name right now, darn it. Uh, my friend in Arizona has got two gay sons and he talks about the double bind his gay sons are in because they actually have a testimony of the church and would love to fully participate in the church but they'd also like to share their life with somebody. And so they're kind of in this constant trade-off um, that straight members of the church don't face. I'm not in this double bind. I can fully participate in the church and fully be with my partner I'm attracted to and build a life together and have family together. And and you are kind of locked out of that possibility. And it's sort of this ongoing compromise to make different parts of that work. And um, it's just a very you know, it's just very complex space you're walking. And one of the things we talked about before we went live listeners with Sierra is, you know, some of my guests are kind of at the end of their story. They're kind of where they're going to be for the rest of their life, but a lot of guests aren't. And I think that's okay. Um, you're not at the end of your story. You're just trying to do your best you can to navigate the complexities of your story. You've got clay you want the best life for Clay. You care about Kara. She's still your friend. Um, you're co-parenting the best way you can. You love the church. She's been hurt. She shows grace to you. It's This is kind of a beautiful love story with your family and Kara and even trying to date this guy and just realizing that's not going to work. So you're trying to figure out how to make all this work. Um, one of the things you come back to is just personal revelation. And you've always stayed close to Heavenly Father and always received personal revelation. Often, listeners, that comes line upon line in the moment we need it. It may not come in the sense we know the rest of our life through personal revelation, but we know maybe the next chapter, the next stage of our life. And we go slow and we live that chapter and it allows us to live further chapters. Um, but it's just a really, one of the things I think both Sierra and I would invite you is not to take one story and sort of weaponize it. So I think Sarah would not like it if you took her podcast to somebody who's in a same-sex marriage and say, be like Sierra, break up so you can go back to the church. Um, my guests that have sort of gone down your road are really sensitive that other people take their story and say, well, do what Sierra did. Come back to the church, leave your partner. Um, and I think we just have to extend grace to everybody in their individual stories without weaponizing one story and saying, this is how you do it. Are you okay with what I said? Would you like to say any more on that? Yeah, that, that was great. I think um, this is my story. Um, 
this is as much as I'm willing to share also, you know, there are parts of my story that, um, people may not know people don't know because I've kept those things to myself. And so, um, using my story to kind of weaponize and say, Hey, you could do this. You could try this. This It's incredibly hard. It's an incredibly difficult path to walk. I am, I am. And I, I have been in the past in this kind of civil war between myself. I have these two parts of myself. I have this gay part of myself and I have this religious part of myself and they clash all the time. And so trying to find a, a line to walk, um, is very hard and um, not something that I would say that people need to push on to each other. The, we've, we've had people try in the past. It didn't work. We've had people try in the past and it does work and everybody's unique and different. This is my story. Like you said, in this current time, my story is going to change. Um, if you know me in, in everyday life and my story sounds different than what it did today, that's because it's just evolving. I'm like everybody else. We continue to live and things continue to happen to us. We make new choices and, and our life kind of takes shape and changes. And so, um, this story isn't going to be the same as it is today, tomorrow. Um, and so using it to kind of coerce people into a way of living, I think would be wrong and you could alienate them just kind of like that text message I got if you if you come to somebody and you say hey this could work for you and you don't have that kind of relationship built up with somebody or you don't really know them all that well you don't know their personal struggles you could really hurt them that text message really hurt um it still does hurt sometimes when I think about it so um yeah that's what I would say um I like the term you used, Sierra Civil War, and um, just this kind of war, and it's not your fault. It's just, that's the unique thing about your road, is it's not like you did something wrong to cause a civil war. Um, You know you're gay, you were born this way, I think you would share that, as this isn't a result of something that went awry. This is who you are, and you're at peace, this is who you are, I sense. Um, and you would love to fully participate in the church and raise your son in the church and and perhaps even a, have a partner in the church. Um, and so it's just the complexities. And and it, so I just, you know, I think I wonder if someday we'll do a better job of, you know, people will say, well, shouldn't things change in the church? So Sierra has a place. And I'm open to that things will change, listeners. I just honor the pattern that things change is I don't know Heavenly Father's will and I'm not a leader in the church. And so I, but I, I do feel it's, it, many faithful committed members hope and pray that something changes. I just don't get out ahead of the brethren, so to speak, and say, this is the way I think it should be. And these are the changes it should make. I just feel we're not at the finish line. I'm not sure that you should have a civil war going on with you that straight members don't have. And um, I I personally believe that when the church decided or went to um, sexual orientation is not a choice and you can't unchoose this, which happened in my lifetime, it sort of puts the responsibility not on you anymore to become straight, on the body of Christ, the rest of the Latter-day Saints, to create a feeling of belonging for you and that you're needed and who you are is needed. And be open to further light and understanding to improve your experience of the church. 
So I don't know how that'll work, listeners. Um, I just feel that there's more work to do. And what I invite listeners to do, just to, if you're an ally or a parent, just do what you can do in your circle of influence to improve the experience for LGBTQ Latter-day Saints. Um, Because I think that's the only thing you really have influence over. More thoughts that come to your mind, Siri, you'd like to share with listeners? Oh, I just, I, I, I truly wish there was a clear and cut way that I, I could fit in. Um, I've even had um, conversations with my parents, you know, about how hard it's been um, to try and navigate where I am. Um, like I mentioned earlier, I do have a brother who's also gay and he's, he's left the church and some days I am so incredibly jealous of him because he was, he's just able to live his life. He's, he's him. He's authentically him. Not that I'm not being authentically me, but I wish that there was this part of me that I was willing or that I could give up like my orientation. I, I can't give up. I've tried, I've prayed many years. There've been so many tears and pleads. And if I do this, could I have this? And and none of it's none of it's kind of resolved because it's probably not meant to. Um, and so I, I honestly wish there was just a clear cut path, you know, for me. Um, and there currently isn't, and that's that's okay. It's a hard it's a hard road to walk, but I can do that. I can I can figure that out um, eventually. So. I love, um, you've talked about fitting in a couple of times and you're maybe familiar with this quote, listeners may be too. It's from Brene Brown. Fitting in is about assessing a situation and becoming who you need to be in order to be accepted. Belonging, on the other hand, doesn't require us to change you or it requires us to be who we are. So a lot of people come out like you have so that people just authentically know Sierra's gay. And then it's sort of on our responsibility to create a feeling of belonging. So fitting into a heteronormative world is trying to be straight like you did in high school and you dated guys because <laughs> you wanted to fit in. It's a pretty normal thing. And But I think the higher bar is where we really feel like we belong in our families, in our church communities, and we can be authentic with who we are and the realities of our life. And we're not trying to be something that perhaps our culture and our congregations thinks we should be or we think we need to be. And I'm... You know, I I recognize, I think earlier in the podcast, you said you came to church with your wife. And that was awkward. I don't think you used that exact word, but I always felt, listeners, that everybody should feel welcome at the congregation level. A same-sex couple, a straight couple, um, divorced person. We all are just different children of the same heavenly parents. And I've always felt there shouldn't be a belief or behavior hurdle, and we shouldn't be looking at people in those with those eyes. We should just see them as fellow children of the same heavenly parents that chose the same plan we did in the pre-mortal life and are doing their best. And our job is just to love them. And and I would hope that if there's same-sex couples that want to come to church, that we just welcome them. And we let them sort of self-chart how they want to participate in church and not be under the threat of church discipline. I think church discipline doesn't help unless someone proactively wants to go through that process to fully return to the church. Um, 
and just accept them for who they are and ask, how can I support you if you're their leader? I am. I think it's good you mentioned how painful that text was. Um, that here, several years later, you still remember that and you give enough grace not to share who that was, but it was obviously somebody that you cared about. And listeners, I, I think sometimes we feel, well, we've got to stand up for the doctrine of our church and we got to warn people. And I think those are noble things. But my feeling is Sierra knows the doctrine of our church um, when she was getting married in Las Vegas. Um, and I think at that point, we just love people and we let them self-determine their past forward and just say, I'll walk with you. I'll love you. I think sometimes we create this dichotomy in our minds to fully love and follow God. We have to stop loving some of his children. And I think we're not, I think loving his children helps. I think our heavenly parents are grateful when we love all their children. Someone told me the story of a mom of a gay kid. It's in my book. But she said, you know, if we were invited to attend the baptism of one of our Catholic friends that was having their child um, participate in infant baptism, most active Latter-day Saints, yeah, if I had a close friend that was Catholic and they invited me, I'd go. But our LDS listeners will know how we feel about infant baptism, but we just support them in the important moments of their life, even if we don't agree with all the doctrine around that decision. And that's the way I'd approach attending a same-sex wedding. I wouldn't sort of invite you and say, Siri, your best fast forward is a same-sex wedding because I know this couple is in a same-sex wedding or if I'm in a same-sex marriage, I think what we do is just say, Sierra, you've got to, I'll always invite you to follow church teachings, but you've got to self-determine your best path forward and I'll just walk with you and I won't be prescriptive except that invitation and I'll just walk with you. And it sounds like your family's done a good job and your friends and I also don't look at um, your marriage to care as like this black mark on your life <laughs> or this thing that needs to be wiped away or not talked about. I just think that's, I think that all these experiences we have listeners are for our good. And so I don't look at this as this chapter of your life that sort of needs to be expunged from your life story. You haven't, you've been really willing to talk about Kara and I think it honors Kara and, and who she is. and. So, you know, I think we just look at our life experiences, listeners, as just this is helping us become the people we are. And all of us have experiences that we're really proud of and thumbs we're not proud of. And I've recognized there's much good in this relationship with Kara. And you miss her, I would guess, and what you had. And it's back to this double binder in where you'd love to share your life with somebody and love to fully participate in the church and have that dream of a family sealed together and clay being raised up. So it's just an incredibly complex road you're walking. Um, you're pretty mature at 26. One of the things I felt generally about LGBTQ Latter-day Saints is because they're the, the difficulty of their path, they often are more mature <laughs> earlier and have a really good relationship with Heavenly Father because sometimes there's not an owner's manual or roadmap or a Maya made lesson that prepared you exactly for this road. Your life's different than you thought it would be as a beehive, but I think it's a beautiful story, Sierra. And um, you've got to, and I think all the things you've learned make the rest of your life possible in a really good way. And me, that's talking, that's not only me talking to Sierra listeners, but to you if you're younger. 
and um, trying to give you hope that all these experiences you've experienced are for your good and um, help you become the person you're trying to become. And and that takes a little bit of while, but you're really thoughtful in how you're doing this. And you're very good at relationships and trying to show grace and understanding to the people around you. Um, but I know you're not perfect and I don't, you you don't want me to elevate you to this point of perfection, but you're doing a really good job. I think Clay's lucky to have you and Kara and probably grandparents and other family. And this little guy's got a great life ahead of him. And I'm glad he's in the world with people that love him. This is a good thing. Any more thoughts that come to your mind before we sign off? It's definitely a good thing, Clay. He's such a, a light in the world. Sometimes when things are hard, he's, he's two years old, so he's a lot of work, but boy, the smallest, simplest things, like even a sticker, just make his day. And that's like the best, that's like the best thing ever. Another thought I did have while um, listening to you speak was just, this is, I, I struggle a lot and I feel like a lot of people in this generation um, struggle a lot with comparison and jealousy, um, especially with social media, because I have all these LDS friends that I went to high school with and middle school with, and they all have their, their temple marriages and their wonderful families. And, and I find myself jealous. I, I wish that that was me. And so I think a good thing to do and something I probably need to practice a little more is taking a break from looking at everybody's life because everybody's got some problems going on. They just aren't willing to share them Um, because who wants to share the bad things that are going on in their life on their social media where anybody could scroll at any time and see. And so um, just remembering that everybody has some issues they go through and everybody has some trials and some, some hard times and not everybody's perfect is, is another great section I wanted to say. That's great. I wrote down the word boundaries as you said that. I think it's good to have boundaries and we haven't used that word in the podcast, but you've kind of inferred that at times. You've had to have boundaries around you at times. I think that's a position of strength, listeners, when you have boundaries and say, I just can't connect with that person or that social media and just have confidence in your own life path forward that you need to have boundaries at times so you're as emotionally healthy. Well, listeners will sign off. Um, Sarah, I'm so glad you came on the podcast. I wish our listeners could see you. You're smiling, you're bright, you're happy. Um, you're doing a really good job. And on behalf of all of us, we love you and support you and are excited for your future and your families. Um, it's a beautiful family love story is the best way I can think. And you're doing a good job. And all of you out there, Sierra, and I wish you the best and continue to write your own story and act on the impressions you felt during this podcast that will be helpful for you as you write your own story. And so this is Sierra Clayton and Richard Osler signing off another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love. <laughs>